Welcome to We Got Goals, a podcast by asweatlife.com on which we talk to high achievers about their goals. I'm Gina Anderson Cohen, and this week I spoke with Ben Katz, who's the founder of Haven Co-Living. And if you're not familiar with the trend of co-living, it's a lot like co-working in that people who want to live in an urban area share amenities so that they can afford to. And I've been speaking with Ben since January about Haven and about its imminent opening. So we've gotten to talk about the concept before it opened its doors and after it opened its doors, uh, which is fun for me because I got to hear what surprised him about the community, what excited him about the community, and what he's doing in the future. Um, You can find Haven today in Venice, California, uh, with a bustling community full of people who care about health and wellness and work in that field. You'll find yoga practitioners, fitness professionals, nutritionists, uh, and people who are really just making wellness their job. In the future, you'll also find Haven opening its doors in more LA area spots like Echo Park and West Hollywood, but Ben doesn't just stop there. You'll hear him talk about where he aspires to go in the future. Listen to this episode to hear why Ben and I both set out the Game of Thrones trend why Ben thinks that L.A. is the most important city in the United States, and what Haven's going to do next. This is Gina Anderson Cohen on We Got Goals, a podcast by sweatlife.com, and I am here with Ben Katz. Welcome, Ben. Thanks, Gina. I'm so glad to be here. It's wonderful to have you on, and I'm really excited to talk uh, about your most recent business. Uh, Before we get into it, quickly tell me, what is the business you're working on today? I'm working on Haven. Haven is a health and wellness-focused co-living community. So basically, we're a membership club based in Venice, California, and hopefully globally at some point soon. And we have four houses. And in those houses, we have um, so far about 50 people living. And all of those people work in the health and wellness fields. They're yogis, they're acupuncturists, they're breathwork class instructors, they're travel nurses, um, but their intention is focused around health and wellness, and they live together in a beautiful surrounding, and we provide for them awesome services like daily yoga practice, weekly vegan dinners, and a lot of other community bonding opportunities. I love that. But your background is vastly different uh, than this Haven co-living space. Uh, would would probably leave someone to guess. Can you talk a little bit about what you did before that? Yeah, sure. I started my career on Wall Street. Um, I had a job I didn't love, uh, but it paid really well. And I did that for about two years. And I was able to um, save up enough of a cushion that uh, I could leave that job and try something riskier and lower, lower compensating on a day-to-day basis. Um, so I moved to Los Angeles uh, from New York and uh, ended up starting a series of companies um, and, uh, uh, you know, one is an online bank called card.com. And that was my main focus for about six years. And now I'm working on Haven. What's fascinating to me is this story is not unique. I've heard a, a lot of folks sort of go from, from wall street to wellness. Um, what do you think it is, uh, that leads people to sort of walk away from, from banking, from wall street, from, from that kind of career to start a wellness focused business? I think uh, more than wellness specifically, I think it's about feeling a sense of ownership and pride in what you're doing. Um, 
when you're working on Wall Street, it's very much an advisory capacity. Uh, whether or not someone listens to your advice is uh, not up to you. And um, what you're doing doesn't feel very karmically attached, attached to the broader vision of the business. It feels like an input. Uh, whereas when you start your own business, um, you know, it didn't exist before you. Uh, you can take credit and blame and own that. And you have a lot of control, which can, of course, as you know, be stressful, but yeah. is also highly rewarding. Definitely. Uh, and I'm, I'm interested where the idea of co-living came from. I, I know a lot of listeners are familiar with co-working. Sure. I feel like co-living is, is a newer, but also old idea at the same time. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, people have lived in communities forever. And my, my view is that co-living is more needed now than ever. Um, families are more and more detached. We move across the country and leave behind our parents and our siblings and our cousins and move to a new city. And um, we're also increasingly disconnected using Snapchat, uh, using TikTok, and other products that um, make us feel like we're digitally connected, but actually don't create the kind of bonds that I think are important to happiness. So, for example, your church or your synagogue or your sorority uh, or your philanthropic organization is the historic bedrock of what creates the bonds that create health and that create connection with your community and with other souls. And today, we lose a lot of that in spite of the fact that we have constant feeds on what 60 people we know are doing from a minute-to-minute -minute basis. I remember the first time you and I chatted, uh, and we've emailed back and forth for the past couple of months, but I remember the first time you and I chatted, we talked a lot about sort of like this new this new church idea, how wellness is kind of the new church. And, and I, I so adamantly... Uh, believe that people need a place to belong, not necessarily to, to replace religion, because that's up to that's up to you. But uh, where do you see wellness going in people's lives, and, and why do you think living in a wellness community is so important? Sure. Um, so I think that living in a community of people who share a common vision for you, uh, with you is important. It doesn't have to be around wellness. I just happen to think that wellness is the religion of our times, mm -hmm. and it's a really positive religion. And so that's why we decided to build Haven focused on health and wellness. We could have picked a hacker house where a bunch mm -hmm. of startup entrepreneurs get together. We could have started a gamer house where a bunch of people playing Xbox or Catan or Dungeons and Dragons could have lived together. But when I think about community, um, I want to I want to reinforce positive um, values. And, and I think that health and wellness, caring about um, your fitness, caring about clean eating uh, translates to um, a positive work ethic. It translates to a positive selection bias in terms of the sorts of people who would want to be involved in that community. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, people who are focused on health and wellness increasingly are focused on mindfulness. And I think that mindful people tend to make better neighbors. And when you're living one more than one person per room, which is the case in co-living generally, that's an important element because you, you need people to be respectful of one another so that they can cope and even thrive in a more dense environment. Mm -hmm. Talk to me a little bit about the the living environment at Co at uh, Haven. I, I've been following uh, your Instagram, and it looks absolutely beautiful. But what what can people who live there expect? Sure, you can see our Instagram at uh, Instagram.com slash co living at Haven. So you can see for yourself um, if you're listening to this. And what you can expect is an, uh, we have four multi-million dollar homes. 
So collectively, almost $10 million of real estate, six blocks from the beach in Venice, California, six blocks from Abbott Kinney, which is a famous block here in Venice. You're right in the center of Venice, and you're in it at a price you can afford. It's only $1,000 a month to live at Haven, and there's no security deposit. There's no long-term commitment. Literally, if you let us know on the 30th of the, of the month that you're moving out, you can move out that day and not pay next month's rent or membership dues, as we call it. Mm-hmm. The uh, house itself is, is, as you can imagine, for a multi-million dollar house is stunning. We have four of them, actually. We have a giant backyard that the four houses share with seating for you know, communal dinners for up to 60 people. We have four giant roof decks, one of which is left open, and we're in the process of putting a canopy over for an outdoor yoga and meditation space, and two of which have day beds, and one of which has a lot of outdoor seating for meals. Then downstairs in the common areas, we have four gorgeous living rooms, four chef's kitchens, giant refrigerators where everyone gets their own kind of bucket to keep their, um, you know, the stuff that they juice with or the stuff that they're eating in. And then, um, and then we have a co-working space so that you have a desk to use um, for everyone. Uh, we have a yoga and meditation lounge, uh, which is large, large enough to host about a 16 person yoga class, um, or breathwork class as I prefer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, we have a movie theater where people watch game of Thrones on <laughs> Sunday nights. And then we have, uh, in the process of building out a gym, the gym won't be ready until sometime in July. It sounds Incredible. And I know when we first spoke, the houses weren't open yet. Um, What has been the most surprising result of moving people into these homes uh, and and opening Haven? The best surprise is how much everyone is self-starting to build a community. So we came in and we plan to provide, uh, on our dime, a daily yoga and meditation class. What's happened is that the members themselves are doing what we now call givebacks. Mm. And what that means is that members are, who, are, who tend to be trainers themselves, either working at SoulCycle or Barry's Boot Camp or in their own private practice as a trainer, uh, start training one another. So you can follow our Instagram and you'll see stories of people doing the steps together in Santa Monica or going for a beach jog together or doing high-intensity training on the beach at 6 a.m., And so, you know, the most rewarding and positive thing that I've seen happen is how the community is self-organizing into something that's better than I ever could have created had I planned it. Oh, I love that. Um, Total side note, but I think that I am the only human in America that actually sat out Game of Thrones. (laughs) I am am actually with you. We are the two. I also have never seen Titanic. Okay, I've seen that. But that was also, (laughs) I, I was, I think I was 13 when that came out. So it was mandatory. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. Let's get into the big questions because I have to know uh, what is a big goal that you accomplished? How did you get there and why was it important to you? Sure. During Occupy Wall Street, I was really offended by how the big banks were just, just totally disrespecting 80% of Americans with monthly maintenance fees at the baseline. But something you might not know is that big banks what they do is when you write a check, they wait until 11.59 at night to cash your check because what they're hoping is that you get one large check and three small checks. And what they do thoughtfully is they overdraft you with the large check first so that they can charge you four overdraft fees instead of just one overdraft fee. And so when I found out that there were you know, a systemic way of 
trying to disrespect the American consumer, you know, the, the nurse, the, the janitor, um, the farmer, uh, the teacher. Uh, I felt like it was time that technology could replace the need for branch banks, right? You had in the palm of your hand a tool that would find you an ATM without needing a giant logo that, that sells Wells Fargo or Citibank on, mm-hmm. the, on the corner. You could find, uh, you could deposit checks through a camera. None of this was normal in 2010 or 2011 when that was going on. The big banks didn't even have those tools in their, in their apps. And so um, I uh, set out to start an online bank. But of course, uh, I'm from Wisconsin. <laughs> um, I have an amazingly supportive family, but not a family where we can just start a bank. And so um, I did what, you, what you, I think you've done yourself is I, I started uh, with an example. So uh, and, and then I proved that example out. Um, I think the, the, the process that many of the people listening will have heard of is Lean Startup. I'm a real believer in Lean Startup. It's a book worth reading if you're an entrepreneur and thinking about how to build a scalable business. And what that means is that I didn't start a bank. What I did is I put up a website. It cost me less than $500 to start. And um, I didn't buy a fancy domain name like card.com, which is where the bank resides now. We bought card-like. We were going to be the card you like. And what I did is I set up a test. Uh, I put up uh, basically a fake website saying, hey, sign up for this Bank of America card. Right. So this is arguably... Uh, unethical, right? So let's, <laughs> let's let's just analyze this and possibly illegal. Um, and so we set up a, a fake website, cardlike.com slash Bank of America, and another website, cardlike.com slash Wells Fargo. And then we set up cardlike.com slash Los Angeles Dodgers, mm-hmm. cardlike.com slash Hello Kitty. And what we did is we spent, say, $500 trying to get someone, and then we, we made it look like it was a sign-up for a bank. Mm-hmm. And we, and we had an FDIC logo on the website. Uh, it looked authoritative. And they all looked identical. The only thing that changed is that on the card, instead of a Wells Fargo logo, it was a giant picture of Hello Kitty or a giant picture of the LA Dodgers logo. Mm-hmm. And, what we, and then we advertised on Facebook to Americans. But with the Hello Kitty one, we advertised it to people on Facebook who like Hello Kitty. And with the Dodgers one, we advertised it to people in Los Angeles or people who like the LA Dodgers. And what we found was that we were able to get people to give us their um, application data, mm-hmm. their name, their address, their date of birth, and so on, for literally 95% less when we would use famous brands that people like versus brands that people hate, like Bank of America and <laughs> Wells Fargo. And so I, uh, that was about a $2,000 test, maybe a $3,000 test. And I took that data to investors uh, venture capitalists, angel investors, seed investors. Uh, and I was able to convince enough of them that this was a good idea and that this data was valid and that I would be someone who could see this goal through to reality mm-hmm. and that they parted with and invested something on the order of $3 million to get us kickstarted. That's incredible. I, I know uh, for listeners at home who may be sitting with their, their mouth open at the idea of maybe not knowing what you're going to do with a, an initial website. It's super common. I know I've, I've chatted with startups who created meal delivery services that proved their concept by delivering the hot bar from Whole Foods, you know? So it's, totally. it, it's a super common practice. And it's always interesting to hear how entrepreneurs found their fit and their market and maybe before, um, having to follow the rules. Um, did you ever feel like you were going to get 
in trouble in those early days? Um, I didn't think about it. Yeah, I, I knew that. that I knew that Bank of America was systematically screwing over customers. Yeah. Now we know that Wells Fargo has been fined billions of dollars and probably should have been fined tens of billions of dollars or even put out of business. So I really thought of it as a social justice mission. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mother Teresa has been quoted as saying, sometimes you work with the devils to serve the angels. She took money from Pablo Escobar mm-hmm. to then turn around and give that money to the people in the streets of, of uh, Medellin and in the streets of Calcutta. And I'm very much in line with that. I love that. And and it's interesting that Occupy Wall Street was sort of the, the catalyst of, of this for you. Um, I remember that super vividly. And I also like, I have an interesting relationship with banks too. I know as uh, I was looking for a loan um, a couple years ago, I went through just a super painful process trying to find the right banking partner and ended up taking like an online loan from a more, a more like up-to-date partner. It's, it's painful out there. So I'm, I'm interested to sort of hear like what you learned from the start, the proof of concept to like building and growing card.com. Hmm. I mean, for sure, the biggest thing I learned is the importance of hiring an amazing team and retaining them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, uh, in, in, let's say of the six or seven people who reported to me while I was CEO, I could do absolutely none of their jobs better than they could. I needed to and wanted to trust them to set the agenda for their um, for their responsibilities, and I would have weekly or twice a week check-ins with them to see how they were doing against their own self-professed goals in their divisions, and beyond that, tried to provide the resources they need, tried to unblock things that were blocking them, and try to raise enough capital and continued to raise enough capital to help them execute their portion of the vision as they saw it. As, as a CEO, your job is to never run out of money on a Friday. <laughs> yeah. Number one. Number two, set the vision and repeat the vision. And number three, recruit and retain and sculpt the team. That's great. And how, how has that sort of come into play at Haven Co-Living? At Haven, it's been even more amazing because it is a lot of things. uh, There are a lot of things at Haven that I am not the best at. As an example, uh, I've never owned a house, let alone done construction on a house, let alone created a beautiful space. And so getting used to trusting people uh, in a, in a realm where you truly have no domain expertise whatsoever is a big learning curve and really fun. And also, a little stressful. You know, having someone convince you uh, that, hey, this guy is Picasso and you can't tell Picasso that he can't use red because it's too expensive of a color means that you don't get Picasso at all. And so just go in it, figure out how to, how to get enough capital to let Picasso do his work and trust that at the end it will look like a Picasso is kind of like one learning that I've had there. Um, another example is um, I am... Um, really reliant on this woman named Leslie Schofield, who is the head of community at Summit, if you're familiar with Summit. She's also one of the founders of Aviator Nation. She was an early employee at Tom's Shoes. And she sets the tone for the community. So I have I have daughters who are seven and nine, but I am, you know, I'm 40. I am not that connected to the experience of a 
26 year old, which is the average age of people living at Haven. Um, I followed a more professional path, a more business path. I didn't prioritize, you know, uh, being a yogi or uh, being a fitness instructor as my life path. So I'm disconnected from my actual consumer's experience in some ways. And so what I do is I find team members like Leslie, team members like our community manager, Katie Shim, to uh, help set the tone and the intention of the community and try to stay as hands-off as possible to let that thrive and grow on its own. And when I come by, I'm really proud of what they're building and I'm proud of myself for letting them build it without too much input from me. That's really incredible. And it also, I think it takes maturity um, to be able to sort of understand that you don't know everything or even like what's, what's best for the community you're building. Um, that's very cool, Ben. <laughs> I, I guess I want to make sure that we get into your future goals because I am certain that you've got big ones. Um, so can you tell me about a big goal that you're pursuing right now or will be pursuing in the future and how you're going to get there? Sure. I want to make Haven something that is available to people in any major city across the world. People deserve a place to live that gives them positive feedback, that's a launch pad for their careers, that lets them find like-minded people with whom they'll explore the world, with whom they'll create lifelong bonds, uh, with whom they'll explore the city, and with whom they'll stay healthy and, and, and keep committed to their goals. And they also deserve a place that doesn't take 30, 40, 50% of their take-home pay to afford. Um, the, the biggest, uh, my, my first company I started because Occupy Wall Street and kind of the, the mission behind that was one that I really bought into. And the biggest problem in major cities today is affordable housing. And so uh, I wanted to create a positive and non-stigmatized and amazing, delightful, sought-after, lustworthy space that was also happened to be affordable so that people could prioritize what they care about in life rather than prioritizing earning enough money just to get by. And I think there's a never-ending demand for this product. And I think that people love it so far. I know that people love it so far. And so my, my goals right now are to access capital markets, to finance the uh, build-out and acquisition of more properties, and then build a team that can create uh, the continue to create the vibe and the community and the positive aspects that we've built and find a way to respect that and uh, not destroy it as we get larger. That's a, a really big goal. To boil it down, you've got world domination, <laughs> you've got uh, cash to expand, and you've got maintaining culture while you do all of that. Um, and you're in Venice now. Do you have your, your site set on where you go next? Well, we picked Venice because Venice is, I believe, uh, and I don't want this to be taken arrogantly, but I believe <laughs> Los Angeles is the center of the world. We are where East meets West. The single biggest uh, plane route used to be New York to London. It is now Shanghai to LA. Um, we have in LA um, the second largest Korean city in the world. Mm -hmm. We have in LA the, the second largest Iranian city in the world. 
and I'm sure there's 10 other ethnicities that we could claim the same for. Mm-hmm. Um, we have amazing weather. <laughs> we have uh, a fairly nice beach. Uh, and we set the, set the tone for America in terms of clean eating, um, con- you know, uh, conscious consumption, uh, and health and wellness in a lot of ways. And so um, whether it's vegan eating, clean eating, uh, or the Brazilian butt lift, uh, we are, we are the originator of all those things. And it's in part because Hollywood is here, but it's in part because the people who are living in LA have made a trade off of, um, you know, wanting to be in a, in a place that makes it easy to focus on health and wellness in part because of the weather all the time and the people that are here, uh, in terms of where we would go next, I think actually we'll stay in Los Angeles for a while. I think that, uh, uh, focus is key in a startup. Uh, one of my mentors, Danny Shader, quotes in one of his mentors, I forget who, uh, that he never saw a startup fail from too much focus. <laughs> and uh, uh, when I bring up with uh, my co-founder, our COO, Robert O'Neill, uh, the idea of uh, expanding across Los Angeles even, he said, well, it would be nice if we didn't have to cross the 405 for our second location, because how do I get between the two? Yeah. And so when you're being realistic, um, there are costs involved to dividing your attention at all. And so I think that you could expect that our next 10 locations will be in Los Angeles. But I see a world in which after the 10 after that, maybe one is in Bali, maybe one is in Seattle, maybe you'd help me open one in Chicago. Um, and what we're thinking about is cities where the household income to rent ratio is, uh, or rather the rent to income ratio is 35% or higher. And that's just a, a really problematic place for people. Uh, and we believe that part of what we're good for here is a safe and secure and amazing place to live at a price that doesn't force you to keep a job you hate. I, I love that. And I, I know in Chicago, there'd be a huge network of people who would love to have access to affordable housing, um, that also gives them a community, um, and I think I think the goal of community at your at your core is, in my opinion, the, the thing that will carry you uh, because you you can have all of the great ideas in the world, but if they're just your ideas, if other people don't believe in them, then what's the point? <laughs> yeah, how have you gone about building community in your companies? Well, so a sweat life started with with a very simple idea. Um, so we started with the idea that. I was bored. It was just me. And I was bored in my fitness routine. So I went out to try workouts and I wrote about the workouts that I loved, only the workouts that I loved. Um, and pretty quickly realized that people were reading and people cared, but I started getting emails from readers that said the same basic concept over and over again, which was essentially, I can't believe that you were brave enough to walk in by yourself and try this workout, which to me was a clear problem that was solvable. Uh, So we started bringing people together to try workouts um, as one community and and forcing friendship on them (laughs) at various points in these events. Uh, And that basic idea and simple um, concept of bringing people together and bringing them together around the idea of trying something and making friends as adults um, sort of exploded into, into something that we were able to continue leveraging. Um, so that, that 
made its way into our ambassador program and our ambassador programs is arguably the coolest thing we've ever done. Um, it's about 500 people across the country, mostly in Chicago, but in 20 states as well, who just unite around the idea that um, fitness can help you live a better life or wellness can help you live a better life. Um, beyond that, their lives are vastly different from each other. They're just, they're, they're friends through that idea. Um, so it's been organic and it's, we, we do a good job, I think, of paying attention to what they want and what they're saying to us. And that's, that's how we've involved them along the way. That's awesome. But I, I, I see parallels in, in what we've done and what you're doing too, and just sort of like sparking um, the idea of community and watching it burn on its own. Um, so I, I guess what, what would you expect to be um, the result of forming communities across the world? Uh, and how will you measure that? Yeah, it's interesting. The crass measurement is that people are more successful when they leave Haven and become Haven alumni mm -hmm. than when they came in. And successful to me means things financial, mm -hmm. uh, things spiritual, um, things professional. So maybe they've been able to save up their first, um, you know, their first uh, chunk of cash so that they have a, a serious safety net. Maybe they met their husband or their wife. Maybe they found a business partner or someone to build out their website uh, for their uh, non-digital business. And uh, to me, uh, uh, I'd love it if uh, many people have the formative years of their life and the, the, the deepest connections of their life forged while they're living at Haven. That would be an amazing success. What a goal to have. Um, ben, as we approach the end of our conversation, I'd love to know if there's anything else you're working on or, or anything else you'd like to add um, so that listeners can find you or can get excited with you. Anyone is always welcome to email me directly, ben at havencoliving.com. I encourage you to check out havencoliving.com and follow us on Instagram, which is Instagram slash coliving at Haven. And uh, we would love anyone listening to this podcast uh, to apply for membership at Haven. If you do apply, mention that you heard about us on Gina's podcast in the referral code and we'll make sure that you're prioritized and get a tour right away. Oh, that's incredible. Ben, thank you so much for joining me on We Got Goals. Thank you. It was an honor and uh, I hope everyone here achieves their goals. Yeah, I said I'll be on the road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. So don't be upset when I'm not around. This podcast is a sweatlife.com production and it's another thing that's better with friends. So please share it with yours. You can subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you have the chance to leave us a rating or a review while you're there, we would truly appreciate it. Special thanks to Jay Mono for our theme music, to our guests this week, Ben Katz, to Ryan Deffett for editing, Tech Nexus for the recording studio, and a very special thanks to you, our listeners.